For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a reporter sets out to learn if the ghost that haunted his childhood bedroom is his wife's great-grandmother, who was murdered next door and whose killer may have gotten away with it. We'll review the Pineapple Street and Wondery podcast, Ghost Story. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, My Husband and Love of My Life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also from beyond. (laughs) You're totally going to haunt me. You are. I kind of haunt you, absolutely. Also with us is private investigator, certified. Ooh, what are you doing? By in the way, that I'm bed? making some assumptions about your mortality. You know what I said? Yeah. Then I'm going to die first. Hundred percent. Also oh, with us is private. Somebody mark that that clip. <laughs> Someday you'll play it. Yep. Keith Morrison, and then she said, <laughs> "Yes." Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of. Cozy Mysteries, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, our resident doubting Thomas, author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of Strange Arrivals and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast, Toby Ball. Hi, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. All right, so Kevin. Yeah. This is Thursday's program. Yep. Even though people could listen to it whenever they want. Whenever they want. What is coming up on the show we are releasing on Monday, which people can also listen to whenever they want? Is that better, by the way? Because you always you give know, me shit about yes, that. Yes, that's actually better. That's yes. you're, Now you're living in their More world. More accurate, yes. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be talking about the HBO original documentary series. It's called Love Has Won, The Cult of Mother God. Ooh. I heard it's pretty crazy. All right. So one quick thing that I wanted to mention is a couple of teachers have reached out to me. And those of you who have bought things uh, from their list in our Facebook discussion group, they just wanted to reach out and say thanks because names weren't attached to all the gifts. And, you know, they just want to make sure that I said thanks to everyone who bought things from their wish lists here on the show. So I'm just doing that right now. All right. Well, Kevin, we have a pretty meaty thing that we're going to be talking about that people have been begging us to discuss on the program. So I'd like to get right to it. Is that okay with you? I'm not going to stand in your way. Let's go ahead and drop that spooky first clip right now. Leading off. I want to tell you a story. Well, it's really three stories all wrapped around each other. It's a ghost story. It's a murder mystery. And it's a family drama. By which I mean it's about my wife's family, her family's history. And there's a chance they'll disown me for doing this. Journalist Tristan Redmond had no idea his wife's great-grandmother, Naomi Dancy, had been shot in the eyes by her brother in a 1937 murder-suicide that happened in the house next door. He wondered if it was connected to the spooky incidents in his bedroom or claims from the new owners that it was haunted by a ghost with no face. I woke up because my bed was shaking, but not just shaking like even shaking. It was shaking like vigorously and then slower and then faster again. Naomi's husband had narrowly escaped a bullet during the crime, but modern researchers questioned whether it was he who might have killed his wife and brother-in-law. Redmond wondered if the apparition was Naomi asking him to prove 
John Father Dancy was the real killer, an inquiry that wouldn't sit well with his in-laws. If you come out with a piece that says he was a murderer, then I will be sorry that we ever said we would contribute to it. In the Pineapple Street and Wondery podcast, Ghost Story, Redmond explores the life of the accomplished yet problematic patriarch while managing his in-laws' misgivings. He employs historians, cold case detectives, and spiritual mediums to determine whether his long-dead neighbor was killed by her troubled war veteran brother or her braggadocious husband. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about significant plot points from Ghost Story. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Now I have a question, and I have to decide who I'm going to ask this to, because none of you put it in your notes. I'm going to ask Toby. So there's an interesting point at the beginning of this podcast that we are never asked to question. And that is that Tristan Redmond's childhood bedroom was haunted. Right here we have this journalist just telling us straight up, my childhood bedroom was haunted, shit moved around, period. I'd wake up and objects would have moved across the room, specifically this one vase. When I go to bed, it'd be on the mantelpiece. And then in the morning, I'd find it on the desk. I'd put it back and the next morning I'd find it somewhere else. Do you think it's interesting that we as listeners are supposed to, I guess, accept this as fact? And that is sort of the setup of the podcast. I found that really interesting. And then we sort of go on from there. And that's not even a fact that he even explores as a journalist, like in whether it's truthful or not. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Even while I was listening to it, I was kind of taking it as like more of a legend than like a documentary truth or whatever. And that he was like, Oh yeah, my bedroom used to freak me out. And what freaked me out even more is when I met the person who was there after him, I guess. And she was having the same thing. And then I was like, Oh my God, that might be real. Yeah. I mean, he just kind of lets it go and that, that, that kind of plunges us into it. But yeah, I guess I didn't walk away thinking that everything kind of hung on the fact that this was actually happening to him, but it's, We'll probably talk about this later. I think there's a good sort of structure to this of the way it begins and the way that it ends that I think that might have also played a little part in it, uh, although I may be reading into it. Right. I mean, it speaks to sort of like the low stakes nature and like the weird sort of story setup of this podcast. Right, Laura? I mean, it's a fantastic concept that he and his wife may have been brought together in essence to solve this haunting. What do you think about that? <laughs> oh, no, I think this is one of the most unique podcast concepts that we've heard ever. It's like combining true crime with a ghost story, with history, with a family story. And it manages to sort of balance the line between these different genres, I think, very well going back and forth. But the fact that he lived in a haunted house. Now, I'm just going with it. I'm like, okay, fine. He lived in a haunted house. See? I'm just going to believe it. Yeah, totally credulous. He presents it that way, like straight up. Well, especially once you find out about the bed shaking, then I was like, this house is definitely haunted. Within about five seconds, my leg, my right leg had extended outside the covers and was pushing against an invisible force, almost like trying to get someone off of me. And it happened without me. My leg was just out of the covers, pushing against it. You know, what's interesting about this is it begins as a ghost story. It transitions into a true crime, hist- a historical true crime story. 
And then it transitions into a family ancestry story. And then it transitions back to a ghost story. Hmm. So I, I thought it was really fascinating the way that we went back and forth between these different parts of this story in a way where, like, there wasn't, like you said, there was not a lot of time devoted to, did this ghost thing really have, like, okay, here's some other people who had the same thing with the ghost. We're just going to go with it. I think more obviously was devoted to the history and reviewing these historical documents about this murder case, which was also super interesting. Yeah. Well, Kevin, we have to talk about this Dancy family. And I have other Mm -hmm. thoughts I will share about some of them later. I feel like Tristan was put in a real tough spot in this podcast in many ways. But you have to admit, this family is fucking interesting. It's an intimidating family to marry into, I think, because you've got, you know, the father. Imagine that Claire Danes is the least interesting person in the family. Like, that's interesting. Yeah. His brother-in-law's wife is Claire Danes. Yeah. So he gets to see her ugly cry all the time. Think he makes her cry? And no, he like, doesn't really make it. But, you know, like when they're rehearsing for something, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, it's an incredibly accomplished family. One's a philosopher. Who gets to be a famous philosopher? Uh, his father-in-law. His father-in-law. They all have berries. His wife berets. is incredibly accomplished. Yeah. I'll say that I really love the warmth and performance of his brother-in-law, Hugh Dancy, who is the actor from... Uh, many things. From many things. Currently on Law and Order as the worst prosecutor in Law and Order history. But yeah. that's not his fault. Well, I like him better as Faither than as Nolan Price on Law and Order. And I'm just going to go on a diversion of your interest. And if you're listening, <laughs> you can tell your brother in law that I think that when he delivers his lines as Nolan Price, he sounds like Tucker Carlson. Does. So you agree? You're testifying because you feel guilty. Yes, and he ruins everyone's lives on he that show. He actually ruins everybody's life. Every, everything, it's like, we have to get this case, but first, we have to chop off your finger. It's Horribly just, written character. It's, yeah, it's, well, I think it just takes the urgency out fault. of the show. Yeah. It's not his fault, but he, if he delivered his lines a little faster, put a little more immediacy and urgency in, in the show, I would just say it's a little more like traditional law and order, but... I digress. We I really a, like okay, this Okay, okay, Tristan, just so you we're, know. We're, we're giving notes now on this for free? Tristan, just so notes. you know, we also yeah, have a podcast about Law and Order SVU, so we know what we're talking about. Here. We know. We're experts. Ask Hugh if he wants to come on. <laughs> 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 yeah, now he's going to be like, fuck you guys. What an know. asshole that guy was. <laughs> but he did a great job playing his perhaps murderous great-grandfather. That's so. right. He was incredible. On Friday, 10 days ago, he drank very heavily. On Saturday morning, after this... He rang me up and threatened to shoot my wife's eyes out. He has, on previous occasions, rang my wife up. Well, it's very, like you said, it's a very accomplished family. That's and so, right. so you can see, in the end, why certain uncles or uh, Ugh, relations end up sort of being very protective of the father. And just for you don't know, that's father is a play on the word father. That's the guy's... Yeah, that's Jack the, slash John. Jack slash John, yeah. Weather protective Fathers legacy here as somebody who is super accomplished and wrote a number one hit on you know in your hit parade and was a spy for the British government and all this other crazy crazy stuff, but um, I don't know. It's like I said, it's just I could see where he says I've got this great story, but is everybody going to be pissed at me for telling it? Right. So let's just talk about the family for another second, okay? Well, just just go there because Toby, I was so relieved when we had drinks the other night and that you had a similar take. On this dancey clan that I did, because I think this podcast is actually also about something else. And it's about the craziness of aristocracy. And you sort of said something similar to me. Um, so what are, you, what are your thoughts? Just let's talk about faith. Let's stick with Fayther for a second. This is our murder suspect from 1937. 
and we find out he's a fucking liar and the family does not like it at all, learning that he's a liar. So what are your thoughts about that? Yeah. So, you know, one of the ways that this podcast kind of sucked me in is uh, I just find really interesting, like the British aristocracy during sort of the crumbling of the British Empire and that a guy like him was born you know, when Britain, you know, the sun never set on the British empire and stuff. And during his lifetime, it kind of crumbled around him. So I think there's a lot going on there psychologically. And I think there's been a lot of like, I think the John le Carre books are, are have a, that as sort of a backdrop of a lot of it in the secret service, things like that. So I just thought that was, it was interesting. And, and to me, it seemed to sort of explain some of this stuff, especially his like, 18 volume 3000 page like <laughs> fake memoir where he's like doing all this stuff and it's like well these are things that i think were available to aristocratic british men in like the 1800s like you 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 do hear about guys like sir richard burton not the actor but the guy who traveled all over the world and you know was the first white man to go into mecca and it's like searching for the source of the nile and stuff and had this great adventurous life and then it gets to this time when Britain's not that anymore, right? And so it's a strange thing for people who are used to having so much power and sort of worldwide authority to suddenly not have it. So I, it feels like that's a backdrop to a lot of this stuff is this sort of the changing of sort of the position of Britain. And because of that, the changing position of the British aristocracy in relation to the world. And I think that even comes up where there's a, there's a part where they're talking about how important it is to know who your ancestors were mm -hmm. and what they were. And it gives you a sense of grounding and, it, and it's very important for you personally now to know where you came from. And I'm like, yeah, it's probably super important if you're an aristocrat, if you're not an aristocrat, it's probably less important because you can't like lord it over people. On so the nose, I, it just, Toby, on the nose. <laughs> so I just, I don't know. I, I, I find it really sort of interesting and in some ways kind of sad and in other ways it's like, Jesus, you know, how long was this sort of strange situation where this very small group of people in this very small country like had this absolutely enormous influence over the basically the entire world. So anyway, I mean, that was kind of a lot of what I was thinking about while I was listening to this. It's like this just feels like kind of it's not really a morality play but it's something that's kind of playing out as we look back on it with this sort of going on in the background and this sort of class trauma amongst the british upper class right well there's also a morality play happening in real time and i promise listeners we are going to get to the ghost story and the murder mystery i promise but laura there's also this like the the ethical dilemma that tristan feels mm -hmm. which is like I feel for him. It's real. But that being said, he put himself in this tough ass spot because he can't be honest with us about how insufferable some people in his family are because they are. I'm sorry. That Uncle Mark dude is insufferable, but he can't say it in the podcast because he's related to these people now. Right. And he's betraying them by telling them shit they don't want to know that they've told him they don't want to know. So it's like he's in the spot where he's supposed to be being honest with us, but he can't be fully honest with us. But we hear how awful they are in many, many times. But he also is learning things that they don't want to know. Like it's it's kind of wild, right? 
I'm, I would like to be at their Christmas dinner table this year. <laughs> Just going to put that out like, there. Like, I will say, his wife seems nice. You could be there. Tristan might not be His there. wife seems very nice. <laughs> Hugh seems, like, relatively lovely for an actor. And I and, and Bindle, I fucking loved Bindle. Yes, I love John Bindle. seemed meh. The rest of them can, they're crazy. I'm sorry. They're bananas and they don't seem nice. (laughs) But I guess that's the question here. And I had that about this is like I was saying before, this leads in with the ghost story and that's our hook at the beginning. But this is really the anatomy of family, family stories, loyalty to ancestry, even ancestry you don't really know just simply because of the fact that you're related to them. But I guess the thing is, I'm looking at this guy and thinking, Tristan, dude, what the fuck were you thinking? It's a cool story, <laughs> but also like you don't want, like this isn't like a family inner family research that you're doing and you're sharing amongst yourselves. This is going out to the world in a way that number one I podcast s- for a while. Yeah, I could see like Tristan power to you. But I, I think that is like one of those things you look at it and you're like, yeah, I'm not wading into that. That could just be a shark pit mess disaster that's going to explode on my face and lead to a family rift that lasts for years. And they'll like 30 years, 40 years from now, that's that podcast he did. We don't oh, talk The to kids were awesome. They're going to be fine. The kids, I are, the kids love, are hilarious. Oh my God. Yeah. I love the little kid who was reading <laughs> Agatha Christie. Oh my God. Can we drop a clip of that kid? That kid was amazing. He is a totally normal child obsessed with death. <laughs> But yeah, I think when you do something that exposes your own family in a public way like this, even if you tactfully don't say like this person's an asshole, the rest of us can pretty much take that from listening to this. And I'm sure they're going to get some feedback after listening to this. And they're probably going to listen to it and be upset about how they sound. So I just think it's a super interesting story, but I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I would go there. <laughs> no, they're going to think they sound fine. They're yeah. going to think they sound fine. I'm telling you, Mark. They, they, they're not going to get why other people think they don't. Mark is not going to hear himself being a snob at all. I swear to God, he's not going to hear it. Yeah. And, you know, for Tristan, if you wanted to, like, put together a podcast that maybe not everybody in the whole world and your family was going to hear, maybe you want to make it a little more exclusive, you could have put it on Patreon. Oh. Because we have exclusive podcasts that's on right. Patreon. Are we in the business section now, Kevin? Well, that's what that music is in the background. That's right. We're in the business section now. And damn, what is it? Like, it's haunted. It's Toby's here favorite music. Yeah. It yeah. is Toby's favorite music. If you join us at patreon.com slash partners, partners in, in crime, crime media, media and not slash Naomi's ghost, <laughs> you can get great podcasts like the Crime Writers On uh, After Show, Married with Podcast, in which Rebecca and I dispense advice. Uh, we brilliant have advice. Brilliant advice. Don't have sex in front of your oh, grandmother's ghost. I have some marital advice for Tristan. And his I was going to say, maybe Tristan could call in and you could give Tristan some advice. So, so Tristan, here's the thing. Buy your wife anything she fucking wants. <laughs> the holidays, whatever she wants. Whatever's on her list, yeah. buy all of it. Yeah, buy your Uncle Mark another berry. No, just avoid Mark no? for a while. Right, avoid him for a while. <laughs> Other podcasts include uh, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, in which Laura has just scripted, with the help of our friends, a romance movie a la Hallmark Channel. Uh, let's see. Somebody's got to move to town, 
and fall in love with Laura Bricker. And who doesn't? It's Quaint AF, Exeter, and Quaint AF, Laura Bricker. Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club is uh, going to be coming up with a new book in the new year. Or are you actually doing a movie, Toby? You got, you got uh, for the first time, you're going to be doing a movie, right? Yeah, well, in January, we have a book. It's called The Angel Makers, Arsenic, a Midwife, and Modern History's Most Astonishing Murder Ring mm. by Patty McCracken. So, you know, that'll probably hit sometime in February. If you watch Deadlock, which the I have Australian not. The Australian comedy. Yeah, yeah. But apparently they reference this. It's this Hungarian woman uh, who was the head of this murder ring. I don't know. Uh, Sarah Kalin, who's going to be one of the guests, was like, I definitely want to do it. Have you watched Deadlock? And then February, I'm not exactly sure how this is going to go because I've got a bunch of guests, but uh, we'll be discussing the movie Killers of the Flower Moon, which apparently is like 50 hours long. Uh, 75, I hear. uh, But that'll be a first on the deep dive is discussing a movie. So anyway... Looking forward to that. We've got a great uh, slate of books for next year. And if you go to the Dive Bar, the official Facebook page of the Deep Dive, or go to the pin tweet on my Twitter page, you can find the list of books for next year. Elsewhere in Partners in Crime Media World, we have the latest episode of These Are Their Stories. It's about law and order. And uh, Hugh Dancy is not in this episode we're talking about, but we are talking about the Mothership Law and Order. This is one in which... Briscoe, everybody's favorite detective, gets a confession out of a guy in two seconds that nobody else hears, right. and for some reason, nobody believes him. Ooh. How'd you get it out of him so quick? What's that mean? I'm just saying, it's pretty amazing. You're alone with the guy for ten seconds, and he gives it up. You don't believe it happened? Hey, I'm just asking how. I've been doing this for 25 years. I think I've earned the right not to be second-guessed. Also, hey, if you wanted to find out some more stuff about what we're doing behind the scenes, you want to see photos of the pet of the week or the crime of the week, just sign up for our newsletter. Or our house. Some of those photos of our house. Our house, whatever. (laughs) Whatever's happening in our world. Go to CrimeWritersOn.com and just put in your email address every Thursday. Curious about what our couch looks like. You're going to get our free (laughs) newsletter. Yeah. So, Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Patreon patron saints are Ashley Willis. And Christina Johnson. Wow. Bless you. Bless you, Ashley. Bless you, Christina. Bless you, everyone who supports us on Patreon. Bless you to those who don't and just listen anyway. And bless you, Tristan, if you're listening to this podcast right now while reviewing your podcast. Should we get back to the show now, Kevin? Mm hmm. I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now. Let's talk about the ghost story and the mystery. I cannot wait. So, Kevin. Jack's story, Fader's story, John's story, Jack, 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 John, Fader. Those are his names. We'll just call him Fader. Fader, Gotta call him Fader. Yeah, yeah. I think his story about the murder sounds like super fucking bullshit. (laughs) That being said, we learn he's a liar. So isn't it possible that he didn't murder his wife, but he's just lying about all the details around the murder of his wife? Yes or no? Both things could be true. Yeah. What do you think? It seems a little unlikely that Fader could just, like, he's fast enough to dodge a bullet. Really? He says, well, he says he threw the light switch and then dropped the flame. I don't think he, like, ducked underneath the bullet. I just think that Maurice just missed him. He just, you know, aimed. And that's why you can hear a a bullet whiz by him. Not because he's like, you know, I was so fast. I Whatever he did. Turned the lights off, dropped to the floor, bullet whizzed by his head and out the window. What window? Is it Maurice... Like, kind of blind anyway? Yes. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. One eye. One eye and going blind in the other eye. It is only eye, right? 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. He's got amazing like shot there, considering he can't see. Oh, he must have been up close. I will say. And then if you can't yeah. see, why would you turn the lights off? That's putting yourself at a disadvantage. We're kind of going. Okay. Complete- no, no, no. Sorry, I Kevin. Say, so I will say <laughs> later when the medium says she was choked, it did occur to me maybe she was choked and then shot in both eyes. I'm not saying that medium was really a medium, but it did occur to me that maybe she was dead before she We're was shot. We're going to talk in the about eyes. that fucking medium. Anyway, later, yeah. go ahead, Kevin. As you were saying, Nicola slash Kevin, go ahead. Yes. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you know, but the staging of, of, of the theory that he staged Maurice's murder as a suicide and then escaped out the window after be like after gunshots go off that he's going to crawl like now my plan is to crawl out the drain pipe. So, you know, no one, the neighbors aren't going to see me. And it just seems so super overly complicated. But can I explain why he, he washed Maurice's hands no. postmortem? No. Why he put the razor back in? In his hands? No, I mean, he needed to because he, like, washed the hand. I don't fucking know. Why did he call a mystery writer later on? I don't know why I did that. Is it sus? Yeah, it's sus as hell, but I don't think I can go beyond that. I have a question. Yeah. Laura, that's a good question for you. How do we know for sure that bathroom door was locked? Because that bathroom door being locked is the whole linchpin to him probably not having done it. damage to the door jam? Is that... That's never really explained. That's the one thing that's never explained. It. The assumption is the bathroom door was locked. He had to break into the bathroom to get to Maurice, right? Yeah. That's never really explained enough where I'm like, why is everyone so fucking sure the bathroom door was definitely locked? Couldn't he have just pretended like the bathroom door had been locked and like made it look like he'd gone into the bathroom that way? I mean, you could do that. But I think also the hesitation with the cutting, to me, yeah. that was a detail that was like, yeah. you would really have to have been thinking about deception to do these cut marks that you could tell were not serious. So, yeah, no, I think the whole thing, I I don't know. I hate to say at the end, I sort of just am like, yeah, I think pretty much what happened is what the police said. (laughs) What what was the year that this happened? 1937. Okay. So I just feel like the forensics now are so shitty that putting a whole lot of stake in forensics in 1937 is probably <laughs> That's right. kind of dicey. Right. And don't you feel like the, they do put a lot of stakes in those forensics in 1937? I, I, I mean, that I, I understand that's all they've got, right? I mean, it, all you can work with is what was provided at the time, unless, you know, something else pops up somehow. But like, it feels like if you're making a podcast about this in 1937, you know, that would be the kind of stuff you'd be sort of interrogating. And then now it's just so long in the past. It's like all you have. And it's a little bit too late to uh, look into that stuff. So you just you give what you have to people and say, what do you think based on this? But I didn't hear anybody saying, well, you know, I'm not too sure about what the forensic pathologists back in 1937, what their techniques were, how reliable they were or whatever. This is like before people even thought bite marks were good. And then we went through a whole thing where people thought bite marks were real and now they realize they aren't. And this is like long, long before that. So I, I just, I feel like the, the field must have advanced quite a bit at this point, even though it still is kind of marginal. Was anyone else surprised when they were like, oh yeah, they had toxicology tests done at the time and we were under, and I'm like, really? I guess yeah. I was surprised that they had toxicology tests at that time when you were saying like things had advanced because that, 
I, I don't know. That was just my. Take. They didn't run any. Yeah, no, they did. They they didn't run it for all the stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they didn't know whether or not what did he they had. Find? I forget what they. What they did didn't they find? find. So they they didn't Alcohol? run it for everything. So yeah. they, so they they weren't able to just just discern whether or not he had given Maurice the drugs that he would have given him. That they're saying he the remember later it was just it was like that he may have been giving him shots to make him sleep. Mm-hmm. That toxicology be, would have been vitamins, but it yeah. certainly would have knocked him out. Exactly. Exactly. Whatever that meant. And, if it's, you know, if Agatha Christie is the source, it's like maybe it was arsenic or hemlock that he was being injected with, you know, but. Yeah. The things that the things that come out later, though, are the more compelling things to me that he was, I think, fucking his neighbor, in my opinion, maybe fucking his neighbor. Mm. I also don't think a child's recollection of their parents' marriage is the best determiner of the happiness of right. their parents' sure. marriage. Yeah, sure. So she's like a hundred year old woman's my child no, well, she No, 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 no. She was sharp as fuck. Do not okay. mess Bindle's memory, ah, man. Okay. Bindle was sharp as hell. But her recollection of, of course, her parents were going to behave, be on their best behavior. Kevin, we're on our best behavior around our kids, even when we hate each other, right? No, we aren't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We try to be on our best behavior around our kids. And also the father was a fabulist. So even if he was having an affair with the neighbor down the street, he would still be a fabulist with the mother, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I'll look also like in 2023, like a, a quick marriage turnaround like that would look really suspicious. But 1937, like a widower would be working to get another woman in the house to do the cooking and cleaning and, and for the, how and, money and the fucking yeah, you know he wants a nurse and a purse. So yeah. a ooh, nurse and like a that? purse. It's no Tinder back then. That's the thing. Yeah, no Tinder back then. So, (laughs) so, but that doesn't mean, you know, again, both things could be true. It's just hard to tell because the whole swipe left, the whole, like the whole problem with these stories is that they are nearly impossible to corroborate. Right. After almost, you know, 90 years. Do you think this is about that? Do you think this podcast is actually about that? Well, no, no, but, but endings are important. We've already established this. Endings are important. And to me, kind of like with Fade to Black. The issue is that to come up with a very satisfactory narrative ending, you know, can be very difficult when it's nearly impossible. I mean, unless you find like, you know, the deathbed confession note or something like that. Is there going to be a satisfactory way of telling what happened? And there probably will not be. So you have to rely on some other kind of way to satisfactorily, you know, end the the story. That's just part of it. You know, you, you have to suspend a lot of disbelief about a murder and about a ghost and about a guy with a beret. Right. But you also have to assume that the podcast is actually about solving this murder, which I don't think it is, in my opinion. doesn't need to be, but yeah, but I, yeah I, I, I agree. Yeah. But like, can we talk about that part, though? Because we need to talk about Nicola the psychic because he's maybe the most interesting person I've heard <laughs> in a podcast in a very long time. I don't think that we're supposed to believe that Nicola is really a medium. I really don't. I think- supposed to believe Nicola believes he's a medium. I think we're supposed to be looking at the craft of being a medium and how someone who's really good at it can make you as a listener even buy in. And that guy, like even for a minute, I was like, ooh. But it sounds like Lara is a believer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a believer. I believe in the ghosts. I believe in the, no. I, I thought, what I thought was interesting about him, I mean, I just, his delivery was so interesting and his demeanor and he was like, very quiet when he came in and everything. How did she die? She's saying that leading up to her death, she could no longer breathe. Now I'm being shown suffocation. 
not being able to breathe. Well, I guess the good news is Nicola didn't research the murder before coming here. This is the thing that drives me crazy when somebody goes to a medium or a psychic or whatever, is that you are giving him all the information. They're like, well, actually, you know, in this case, this person got this. I'm like, why are you telling him that? Because he'll tell one bit of information that seems kind of like it could be accurate. And then Tristan just starts telling him information. I'm like, dude, no wonder he's telling you what you want to hear. But I did love, I loved his delivery. I also loved the seance. It was just a lot going on there. Yeah. It's a very fascinating technique to ask the question, does this make sense? Does that make sense? Yes. Like he, he's not saying, is that right? He's asking a very gentle, leading, round. It's almost like, do you understand yeah. what that meant? Do you understand what that meant? And, if, and like you can see a light in someone's eyes if that. So Kevin yeah. and I have been using that ever since we listened to this podcast. It's like, <laughs> it's like, does this make sense, Kevin? Does this? No. But Toby, you, you definitely could hear the cold read, right? And Tristan, yeah. I think he, yeah, he should have too. Yeah. And I mean, he describes it. He's like, yeah, you know, he starts off getting stuff wrong, but then he like warms up and then he starts doing stuff right. It's like, yeah, because he had no mm-hmm. clue until he started asking you questions. And you started giving him hints about stuff and then he could, I, I think in a vacuum, it probably seems pretty impressive. But if you've ever like watched a mentalist show, like the stuff that they can do is so far beyond like what he was doing. And they're just like, I'm totally, I'm a mentalist. Like I have techniques in which I can do this. Like. I saw a thing where a mentalist uh, put quarters over his eyes, got blindfolded. You know, they were like fake punching him in the face to see if he would like uh, react to it. And he wasn't. And he had a guy get a dollar bill out of his uh, wallet just randomly and then told him what the serial number was on it. And it's like, how did you do that? Like, that that just seems mind blowing. But he's like, oh, it's just this is the secrets of the trade. But I'm not magic. There are ways in which I can suss this stuff. So doing it. In this situation where you're talking about something where you, I mean, he's got, he has some kind of clue what he's going into, right? Yes. He's not going into it absolutely cold, even if he didn't do like internet research on it, which he may have as well. Yeah. They told him that somebody cut their throat. They told him that. Right. So yeah. you get, you get a few things wrong to like kind of calibrate. And then from there, there are techniques and so you just kind of go forward. Yeah. And, and he talks about it too. It's like, people keep saying, am I thinking of someone named Margaret? And he's like, well, you know, there are a hell of a lot of Margarets around in 1940. So maybe that was the case. You know? like, English man of a certain this, age. Does this letter mean something? And yeah. It was, P. P. Yeah. Yeah. There's a P at the end of the name, I guess. Yes. Well, it's yeah. like if you know how to interview people and you know how to read people. Yeah. I mean, think about like, Kevin, you and I have been journalists. We've interviewed people. I currently interview people for work. Like there are ways mm-hmm. that you know when you're talking to somebody to get information out of them. But yep. There are also ways to get the person you're interviewing to feel really good about what you ask them mm-hmm. and what you're saying to them. And the thing that's interesting to me about the hesitation mark thing, and they were so blown away by that, that is a very common, like, suicide, like, fact, right? And so if he knew in advance that somebody's throat had been cut, that's an amazing, mind-blowing thing that he could pull out without knowing anything about the case. It really is. And, and, it, and like, it blew their minds but also, if there weren't any marks there, it wouldn't have blown their minds, but that also would have been okay. Well, the whole podcast ends up being very disappointing to me in the end because it sort of devolves into the Ghostbusters, you know, mediums. And the medium is just so bad. I just feel like I loved him. Just trying to 
picture like a goth kid picking his nose and saying, hmm, well, I'm warming up now. It takes me a while to get on the right wavelength. Yeah, <laughs> to, to guess correctly what's, what's going on. But isn't this about appeasing the, I mean, to me... It's not, has nothing, to me at this point, it's nothing to do with solving the mystery. It's about him trying to make it so that his wife's family won't hate him. That's what it's uh, about. Yeah, I mean, he does, you know, talk about sort of his, his struggles about this. But it seems like, <laughs> it seems like that there is enough that the medium provides that Tristan kind of is satisfied as opposed to the conclusion that I came to. And, you know, maybe it's because I'm our other resident, Downey Thomas, is like, this is bullshit. But other than bullshit, how are you going to solve whether or not there's a ghost and the ghost knows that there is a different killer and all this other stuff? And it's just it has to be about the journey because the destination is fucking ridiculous. Well, because ghosts can lie. I was super bummed by the ending. I was like, that's it. Like, oh, now it's not even the right ghost in the bed shaking the bed. Like, there's no, that's just somebody else. That's another ghost. Like, I was not happy with that. I mean, I just kind of felt like the whole thing was just a metaphor, right? I mean, they they kind of, let me it played out realistically, but but in the way they put it in the show, it's like, I mean, that's what he's doing, right? The whole time he's chasing ghosts. There's no way he's actually going to figure out what happened. This is just a way of sort of examining this family and the relationships and to me, like the real ending of this was sort of the sudden realization of the the powerhouse that Naomi was during her life that had yes. kind of been lost because Fader was this narcissistic fabulous that sort of sucked all the oxygen out of the room. Not just Fader, Fader's descendants are also suppressing her legacy by focusing on men. Right. And, and so to me... I guess it's one of those things where there's like this climax and then there's like a coda, right? That sort of sort of brings the thematic elements of the show around. And I hope I'm right. Either that or I'm just reading way, way, way too much into this because I basically liked it. But it seemed like thematically ending it with Naomi is this incredible person who everybody has just kind of forgotten about. And that Fader like realized this at the time, like that would have been sort of, I guess, a fitting ending. But it, if if you're kind of like me and you want to have everything kind of be symmetrical or whatever, having it end with like this weird ghost shit as a metaphor for what he was actually doing the whole time, which was chasing after something that was there was nothing to find. Right. There, yeah. there was no way that he was ever going to figure it out like that to me makes sort of, you know, quote unquote, literary sense. But I, so I wasn't that disappointed by it because, again, I kind of felt like I'd gotten the the climax was this stuff about Naomi. And then this was sort of the coda or, you know, yeah. the epilogue or whatever. Well, Hugh, Hugh Dancy says it. He says we were trained to think about men. And then you even hear the little kids. One of the little kids is at the end. Well, it's quite unusual for women to be successful, women to be doctors. And I'm like, it's actually not. They have been taught that it is unusual for women to succeed. This family has so focused on the achievements of men over like, generationally. And the whole, I think, point of this is that, like, this family needs to, like, stop fucking doing that. Like, and that's that's what I liked about the ending of this podcast. It's like, thank you. Did you hear a child say, it's quite unusual, isn't it, for a woman to to be as successful? And it's like, no, it's actually not. You shouldn't be surprised today. It was, it was surprising then. And the fact that anybody was impressed he was a doctor in 1937, no one should be impressed by that. The fact that his wife was a doctor in 1937 is the only thing 
anybody should have been talking about. And nobody ever talked about it. No one ever talked about it. All they talked about was his bullshit lies. It's, it's, it was incredible to me. Like that was, that to me was my, was my big take. I remember that way more than I remember the obvious questions that they didn't ask the medium, which I was very frustrated by. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Ghost Story? Very popular podcast. It's from Pineapple Street and Wondery. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Ghost Story? Yeah, I'm going thumbs up with this. You know, we listen to so many podcasts that are straight true crime or some other sort of analysis of a case or a story. And I think this was just so interesting in that it really kind of took a line between several different genres, ghost story, historical, true crime, and blended them together in a very unique way. Um, We have the real life, we didn't talk about this, woman that was the inspiration for the prime suspect detective, um, one of my favorite um, British crime shows. So I was psyched about that. Um, We've got some really interesting family dynamics. I'm buying into the ghost story and the psychics and everything else that's in here just because what the heck, um, I'm buying into Hallmark movies at this point. But I think this was just a really interesting podcast. Um, I didn't love the ending, but that's okay because the journey was really interesting up until that point. So thumbs up. Toby Ball. Yeah, I think uh, just based on our conversation before, I probably like this most out of all of us. I do like these sort of quirky, idiosyncratic, things that maybe aren't exactly perfect, but that's part of the the charm of them. I don't know. I just thought so many aspects of the story were compelling. And I, I, I'm not going to go through them all because they're all spoilers. So that the ending, which, you know, I don't think the strongest part was the ending. And I think that may hurt it a little bit, but it kind of made sense for me uh, in terms of the story arc and and some of the themes that I think he was playing at. But, you know, it's just it's it's different from the stuff we usually do. I thought Tristan was a sort of engaging host who kind of has embarked on this thing that's kind of backing. I mean, he kind of he brought it on himself, but he's kind of backed into a corner with his in-laws. There's just a lot of stuff to chew on. I thought it it is a sort of time in history and and dynamic that I, I kind of am interested in in general. Uh, so for me, it's a big thumbs up. I, I really enjoyed it. Kevin Flynn. I'm going sideways on this. I really enjoyed the first half, first couple of episodes uh, towards the end when they're sort of trying to, I guess, wrap things up in the directions that they go to sort of make things unravel and made me frustrated. I did like Tristan. And uh, even though I said it, I do like his brother-in-law, Hugh Dancy. <laughs> on Law and Order, even though I think that... Pandering. Uh, pandering. <laughs> If he was looking for more voice work, uh, he could come on an episode. It'd be super awesome. But uh, yeah, overall, like I didn't think it was bad. I thought it was an incredibly interesting concept, and it starts off really good. I just didn't. I just think in the end, it ran in place, and so uh, that's why I'm just going sideways. Yeah, I'm going thumbs up. I actually like this podcast more after I listened to it and I, the more I thought about it. It's one of those like thinkers for me. I felt a little bit disadvantaged of it because we listened to it in the car and I'm wondering, I have like some questions about like, was the music loud mixed loud enough? I mean, that's like a dumb thing, but it seemed like it could have been a little more atmospheric than it was for the type of story it is, but it might be because we listened to it in the car. So that's just like a, a minor note. Um, there are some parts that felt a little bit like 
like you said, Kevin, treading, like walking in place. Running in place. Running in place. Uh, that being said, I think the questions about family and betraying the listener versus betraying your subject here are so interesting because the stakes are so much higher for this reporter than they would be in other situations because he has to live with these people forever. Maybe, maybe he's not going to have to live with them forever after this podcast comes out. I don't know. Um, But also like all the other issues I would normally have with a podcast like this, like this is a podcast really about rich white people, which I typically would be like, why are we making a podcast about rich white people? But that's actually the point of this podcast. It brings up, raises a lot of like interesting questions about aristocracy and class stuff. And it's just told through the lens of this totally unimportant ghost story, which, of course, hooks the listener. And if you're going to get all that stuff into listeners ears, use a fucking historical crime and ghost story to do it. As Laura said, it's a very creative package to wrap the story in. So, yeah, it's a thumbs up for me. I found an enjoyable listen and it's a thinker. I, I enjoyed it more as a few days passed after I listened to it. So, yeah, thumbs up for me for ghost story. That's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do. In honor of the holiday season, I am putting forward Toast the Dog and Loaf the Cat. (laughs) They are owned by Rena Clegg, one of our listeners. And Lena posted a picture of Loaf the Cat in our discussion group seeking... Some options. Their eight-year-old, Lena's eight-year-old son's Santa gift he wants this year is a matching hoodie or sweatshirt with his kitten, Loaf. I've seen them for dogs everywhere. I can't find any for kids and that come in kitten sizes. Any cat lovers out there know a good Etsy shop for this? And I am all about this because I just saw somebody that had an amazing holiday photo where the cat and the woman were in the same pajamas and they had Santa hats. And I was like, "Cats, pajamas? this is what I, oh yeah, I wanted this in my life. So I was really excited when I saw this post and the cat of course is an orange male cat, my personal favorite. And if you want to see all the recommendations of places you can get holiday outfits for your cats, go onto our official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group, search for Rena. R-E-N-A, and you will see where Toby Ball is going to get his Christmas shopping done. Oh, all right. Laura Bricker, folks want to reach out to you with their wonderfully named animals to pitch them to be Cat of the Week. How can they find you on social media? And they can find me at Laura Bricker on the Twitter. Of course, they can also post them in our Facebook group or email us at crimewritersona at gmail.com. Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you and say hi. How can they find you online? Can I actually, can I do a Cat of the Week segment? Of course you can. Yes. So uh, as I, you know, one of our cats passed away a few weeks ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And apparently now in college, everybody's got pets in their rooms. Yeah. I don't know. But apparently that's one of the things. So uh, my youngest persuaded us that they were going to be happier if they had a pet. Yes. And because I'm a weak, weak person, yeah, we broke sucker. down and uh, we now have a new kitten who will be with us in the holidays and over summer, but is basically at college. His name is Wallace, Ooh. Mm. Um, which I think is for some reason a hilarious name. <laughs> and uh, so I say it as much as possible. Uh, yeah, he's black and white. He's very cute. Welcome. Welcome to the uh, Ball Walden household. Wallace. And if you want to, uh, you know, pipe in on that, you can find me at Toby Ball NH. Wallace, 
Ball Wall. Wallace Ball Walden. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Wallace oh Walden my God, Ball. that's the best. Yep. Kevin Flynn, how can you be found? I'm a Kevin P. Flynn. Well, if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram or anywhere else, but mostly Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Follow the show everywhere at Crime Writers On. But really, the place you should go if you're interested in interacting with us, other fans, is the Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just go to regular Facebook, look for us, hit join the group. It's a pinned post on our regular Facebook page. You can also go to our newly revised Vitalized subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash crime writers on. It's fun over there now. Get episodes early and ad free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll also get the crime writers on after show. You'll get married with podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where the ghost of Kevin's grandmother also watches us get it on. Man, is a freak! Because you know that's what was happening with Tristan and Katie, right? They were getting it on in that bedroom. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. Maybe we will catch squeaking you. squeaking wasn't the... Uh... Not the bed frame? Yeah. Well, okay, that's not how that vase moved after all. We will catch you later. Ooh, missionary style. Right now, the Hallmark movie in Queen AF Exeter is playing out outside my office window in which Santa is riding into Exeter right now on a train to the bandstand downtown. And then he's going to flip the switch and the whole downtown lights up just like a Hallmark movie. Mm, really? You're missing it. I thought it was two squirrels coupling. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Partners in Crime Media.